The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattledge and Broadcasting premier podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and here, here, there it is, here, here it is, here's your host, Robert Winfrey, yay! Hello everyone, this is Damn You Hollywood, and to those of you out there, and I know you're out there, who listen to this show and who think, why are you all so negative? What's the matter with you? Why can't you just be positive? Why can't you say nice things? Why can't you have fun? Why do you have to be so hard on the movies? Why do you have to think about things? And then why do you have to verbalize them? Well, the answer to a lot of that is because that's the essence of the show. But to a good chunk of that, I say, we're about to be universally positive about a film. And I, I'm scared and alone. <laughs> And I don't know how to feel about it. Last three films, or the last few films we reviewed have been positive. Violent Night, The Menu. Yeah, it's been, again, generally positive, but I I don't have any complaints about this movie. Spoiler for the rest of the review. I have, I have no complaints about this. So, and also to those people, if you want to know why we're so hard on movies, this. We are going to spray this movie with positivity. We are going to pump so much positivity out of uh, out of ourselves and just hose this movie down with so much positivity i mean this movie is this review is going to be positively sticky with the amount of positivity we're going to unload all over it okay what few viewers we have left have now you know fled well, and so what you more under- we're gonna get because they were like, Ooh, "What kind of sort of show is this?" No, Mark. No, <laughs> you your stick does not gain new listeners. And it know. certainly listen. I speak to the uh, to the BDSM kink community. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees, and and I'm and I'm trying to bring them in and using the language of of, you of are our forefathers. Un- you are You're un- using it to bring them in on a discussion on Pinocchio. You are un- Hang on. What you're doing is unfairly overly fetishizing those people who just want to listen to a movie <laughs> review and then you have to make it weird. Uh, anyway. Hi, I'm Mark. Us, we met? Yes. <laughs> I am not surprised by this. This is not like this is for everyone else, not you or me. We know this. Anyone that knows me knows this is what I do. Hey, why don't you do introduction so we can move on with this? I'm trying to, and then you decided to be you. Be me. <laughs> I, I gotta be me. I gotta be me. 
No, if you if you could be anybody else, be be somebody else. Fair. So joining us tonight on this review first, uh, per semi usually, Alexis Haina from Honeysuckle Rose Creations. How you doing, Alexis? Well, I was doing fine, and then you two had to open up your mouths, and then things got weird. Yeah, and, well, sometimes you open up your mouth and you get a mouthful of positivity. Good night, folks. <laughs> one of the, it's going to be one of those episodes. And joining us for another Pinocchio I review. I want so many drugs right now. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> joining us for another Pinocchio review, the Ride Legend Broadcasting Network's own brand new little wooden boy, Zachary Strobel. Zach, pleasure to have you back. Thank you. So, yeah, we are talking about tonight the stop-motion animation Pinocchio adaptation on Netflix directed by Guillermo del Toro. This is the third Pinocchio adaptation to come out in 2022, and it is, it is the best. And, by a country mile. Which, admittedly, when you compare the Poly Shore CGI one and what Zemeckis gave us, again, world's shortest hurdle, but this is still an amazing movie. This would hold up to any other adaptation of Pino of the Pinocchio story favorably. I don't know if it's the best ever, but it it favorably compares. So that that's that's what we got tonight, folks, and it's going to be a good one. And I will like try to come up with an appropriate portmanteau to annoy Mark. Uh, let's very briefly, like this has been on the schedule forever. So Zach, you did a little bit of an intro about your history with Pinocchio and animation and whatnot, uh, before we did the Zemeckis film. So any thoughts, uh, your expectations and otherwise that went into this one, you, you have a history with Del Toro's films, uh, stop motion animation as a form of animation rather than hand-drawn, et cetera. Well, I used to do both. I used to do a stop motion animation before, and then I used to do uh, flash animation. So it really is hard and time-consuming, but it's a lot of fun once you do it. And, uh, yeah, this was spectacular, the animation. It was, like, you could you, you forget that they were, like, made out of clay. Like, they were, like, breathing, and the camera pans with it. I mean, it's just... I, I had the honor of seeing this on the big screen, so... Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what was your experience like seeing the theater? Um, well, it was actually... Uh, it was a last-minute decision with my sister. She was like, hey... Because they, it's playing in at least like one, one uh, major like one theater in at least every major city, um, and that, and the one playing by me was like three minutes from my house, so it was kind of like a last minute thing at like ten o'clock at night, where my sister's like, "Do you want to go see Pinocchio?" And I was like, "Yeah," and it's cool because it's <laughs> Hell like, an yeah. <laughs> Is that how it went? Yeah, and it yes, exactly, uh, and. <laughs> It was uh, an empty, almost empty theater, but it was an independent theater where they show like really like independent films. So there was like a couch in the front row. So we got there like ahead of time. So I actually got to lay on the couch and watch it on a big screen. So nice. yeah, so it was pretty, pretty. I got to watch it in style, but yeah. Also, I wanted to bring up. Um, I know I said in the past though that Aladdin is my favorite Disney movie, but I did some research, and by research I mean self, like analyzing about that. Because the reason I said it was my favorite because it had Robin Williams in it, and that is a pretty big positive. But then if that was the case, then Flubber and RV are the best movies ever made. So, um, but yeah, I would honestly think I, the original Pinocchio, uh, the one from 1940, not, not the one that we reviewed, 
I think is like just kind of like my favorite. So it's, I feel like this one was pretty close, but I, I will always have like the original in my heart. <laughs> but this one was a lot of made a classic, huh? Yeah. All right. I want to ask you guys because Andrew Graham and I got into a conversation about this. There are a few working directors with a distinct aesthetic working in Hollywood that haven't gone completely off their tit. Um, you know, Tim Burton for a oh, while there. Dude, Tim on. Burton was born <laughs> off of his. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but Tim Burton used to make things that were at least passable and interesting. And, okay. you know, he, he definitely. Um, and then he made Planet of the Apes. Yeah. He did a few, he did a few things that, it, it, you know. Working with Mark Wahlberg <laughs> will end your career. <laughs> so, Unless but, you're Martin Scorsese. But I was thinking about in terms of like really like visionary artistic directors, Guillermo del Toro is one of the few out there who, who has more hits than misses. We were just talking about like Pan's Labyrinth, for example. Uh, we did an on trial for that. And I'm like, I really had to reach to come up with some criticisms of that movie when we when we debated it. Pan's Labyrinth it, has a, a very unique style to it. It's a crime that movie didn't win the best foreign language Oscar that year. An absolute. Oh, crime absolutely. Movie. And as silly as it is, Pacific Rim, I think, you know, in terms of like <laughs> big budget, you know, monsters and robots punching each other kind of a movie, I still think he handled it with aplomb. I think he was very confident. He's, Del Toro that, has a very, when he goes for blockbuster style movies, Del Toro still has a style. It's and, Yeah. I mean, he directed the second Blade movie, which is very stylized and still very much in, right. in his wheelhouse. Um, how about you, Alexis? What do you when you think of Gimel del Toro? Um, there's specific there's specifically a few I've left off to give you an opportunity to kind of jump in here. What are some of your favorite del Toros? It's very hard to say. I adore Pan's Labyrinth, but it's a movie that's kind of hard to sit through multiple times. It's a very mm -hmm. dark, very dense, yeah, very dense <laughs> film. And that's the thing with del Toro. His movies leave such an impact. Yeah, I cannot think of many films. I think. The only film that of his that I can watch repeatedly and not feel like I just got whacked over the head is Hellboy 2, which I love. Okay. I absolutely adore Hellboy 2. I love it more than the first movie. It's better than the first one. Agreed. Del Toro's films just always are so passionate. You know, we talked about this with uh, the Cabinet of Curiosities and the films that and the ones that he uh wrote and he didn't direct any of them but he did write two of them and how you know that impacted us his films just have such a style that i don't want to use the phrase it leaves you changed but you feel so different after watching his work you know i was thinking about the zemeckis pinocchio which was utter trash we all know that we spent two hours just 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 you know each of us taking a turn doing things to that movie that should not be discussed on a podcast and um and yet here we are and yet here we are but um and, and i was thinking like I, I got done watching guillermo del toro's pinocchio yesterday and i i sat i had to sit for a moment and think about it and i was like my first thought my my, my knee-jerk reaction was gosh this is what happens when you give an author director free reign to just do what he wants just to paint with all of his brushes and paints and put together a piece of art you know from his mind with his collaborators and what beauty he creates. And I had to stop myself and go, <laughs> mm, we've had that before. Not everyone produces a winner. George Lucas. Um, you know, 
we've, we've definitely, and I was thinking, like, you know, you and I, Robert, have talked about, like, The Gray Man and some of these other movies this year where these were uh, writer-director uh, vanity projects, and they and did they not sucked. create the art that they were seeking. <laughs> yeah, and they sucked. Well, so, and look, no, look, did you get the gray man with a million drone shots and a finale that's actually hard to read because of your lighting decisions? And so just, the reason oh. why I bring that up is that he, that makes Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro even more unique is that not only did he, did he have free reign to do this Pinocchio adaptation, but he was successful where I think a lot of modern artists, a lot of modern writer directors are struggling. You know, they are they're struggling to get from brain to canvas uh, a story that resonates with people and and is memorable. So I'll tell you, this version of Pinocchio really stands apart. Like if it doesn't run away with as many awards as it's been nominated for, I'll be real surprised because it truly is a unique and wonderful piece of art. Well, to the to that point. Uh, to the point about directors, um, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this. So let me just say it this way. Uh, when Tarantino said that, you know, most studios are not looking for directors. They're looking mm-hmm. for hired hands to do right. kind of like glorified stage management. Would we say not not Brett Ratner, the other X-Men guy? No, no. Brett Ratner. It was Brett. Bre- yeah. The Brett Ratners of Hollywood. And, and you know the the people like that. Like that's mm-hmm. what that's what most studio executives are looking for. What most producers are looking for. Like these are people who don't have strong artistic vision. Right. They're... And occasionally those people still produce very good movies. I don't mean to dump on them entirely. Like this is they a skill produce set. technically competent movies. Yeah. And on occasion you get something better than that. Again, mm-hmm. the Russo brothers occasionally do something better. But if you're given kind of free creative reign, you need to have a creative vision and you need to know how to translate it. And that's something of a lost art for a lot of directors, especially those who come through the major studio system at this point. They're so used to being dictated to and like buried in notes and having, you know, not just like time constraints, but you know, quotas to fill and just all the stuff that goes on in there that when they're given, you know, Hey, here's a reasonable budget or in the case of the Russo brothers, an unreasonable budget. (laughs) Yes. Here's the gross national product of Kenya. Go make a movie. Here's $200 million for you to try and make Ryan Gosling look like an action star. Good luck. (laughs) May as well set that money on fire. (laughs) But hang on. The point is they struggle because they're not, you put them in a situation where their input is valued, but that the kind of big creative is handled for them. Mm-hmm. And like they interpret and they noodle through problems. Like the decision to make Thanos, the protagonist of infinity war is genius. I mean that mm-hmm. like, if you try to tell that story, not focused like that, that movie is from Thanos's perspective. If you try to do that another way, that movie falls apart. Right. So there, again, there's really good stuff there. I don't mean to say that they're terrible at their jobs, but there's a world of difference between having to work through problems and having to create from whole cloth. Those are two very different mm-hmm. skill sets. 
Guillermo del Toro has a wealth of experience being able to translate his creative vision onto the finished product. So he's it, there. It he does, knows what he wants. The last point I wanted to bring up before we get into the plot synopsis was it really does. One of Hollywood's great tragedies was that we never got Guillermo del Toro's The Hobbit. That's one. I have another one mm -hmm. related to del Toro in particular. That I Let me save it for after we talk for when we get into the craft because it pertains to the craft and why I think this movie is so good. All right, well, then give me that hot, sexy, steaming plot synopsis, baby. So we begin our positive In hockey. vascular detail. <laughs> you know, you stepped on my line there. I finally found one that I liked. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do it again. To begin our positive hockey. <laughs> there you go. I, I, there you go. It, Mark's going to figure it out in a minute. There. <laughs> um. This entire movie is done in stop motion style. So for those of you familiar with that animation technique, that's the visuals we're going with. It's the story of Pinocchio. We open with um, Ewan McGregor, God bless him, <laughs> as Sebastian J. Cricket doing our narration. And he tells the story of how Geppetto, a lonely widowed woodworker in Italy, and his lost his son during the waning phases of World War One when their poor small town was accidentally bombed by planes that were just trying to make sure they had enough uh, fuel left to get back to their home base because, or that's how you, when you plot these things out, you do have to plot for your fuel allotment, the release of your ordinance. And so we get an opening bit. The opening 10 minutes of this is somewhat analogous to the opening bit of up in that. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, boy, is it hard! And I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. But we see that, him. We, we see that's Geppetto a rough with, watch. Yeah. What did we say in the yeah. chat? Ten minutes in, and hearts ripped out of our chest. My uh, my wife went to go watch the Bucks game, and I had this on, and she and and she was kind of lingering before she walked out of the room. She's like, "Are you already crying?" And I'm like, "Shut up!" <laughs> <laughs> I was a mess. And then ten minutes later, it's even worse. A little bit, yeah. So it's like just raise your hands and admit who else cried watching this movie. No, actually, uh, how many assholes we got on this ship? Yo, <laughs> yo. <laughs> like, just for the record, on that point, this isn't me trying to be like a hard ass. Like, I was emotionally affected, but I didn't cry. Sure. Not, not look. Not everybody cries in movies, and not everyone cries over the same things. And I know you have cried at certain movies, oh, yeah. but they, but they. The thing that got you to cry was different than was different than what this was. So you yeah. can just keep going, but like I I know for a fact you have this. Just might not have been the thing that triggered it. Yeah. Um, so, but again, very emotionally affecting. So we see him with his son, and they're having a grand old time, and they love each other, and he's a really good kid. And then he, uh, they cut down a pine tree to do some more woodwork, and the thing that Geppetto tells his son is, you know, when you cut down a tree, it's important that you replant. So they find, so uh, Carlo finds the perfect pine cone that they could use to then plant and then grow another pine tree. But uh, he's found this perfect pine cone. And as he and his, and Geppetto are leaving the church where they are installing uh, the big Christus scene. Christus. He goes, yeah. He goes back to get his, uh, Pinecone, which has fallen, and Geppetto kind of knows what's up about the world and the war. 
uh, again, they are bombed sort of incidentally, and Carlo is killed, and this destroys Geppetto as it would. Uh, he plants the pine cone by his son's grave. It grows into a tree. This is where Jiminy, uh, not this is where Sebastian Cricket shows up. Can't say Jiminy Cricket, that's copyrighted, but Sebastian J. Cricket. Uh, he shows up, and Geppetto, in a drunken fury one night, cuts down the pine tree that grows by his son's grave, drags a, uh, a chunk of it back to his shop, and puts together a kind of slapdash puppet. Gets most of the way done making it, not all the way. And decides he will finish it in the morning after he collapses in a drunken stupor at the foot of the stairs. Like you do. And right about then, the, uh, the uh, a wood spirit their version of the Blue Fairy shows up and grants to Pinocchio life. And right before she does, Ewan McGregor's cricket hops out and goes, Madam, I am a homeowner. I have rights. <laughs> <laughs> and then very well, if you can help this small monstrosity I'm about to release onto the world to be a good person, then I will grant you one wish. I could wish for anything. I could wish for my book to be successful. A uh, boat's fine, but, you know, the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. <laughs> uh, so he agrees to these terms. He then, uh, again, Pinocchio is given life. Geppetto wakes up and is slightly horrified <laughs> to find a wooden monster running around his shop breaking things. Same voice actor who played Carlo. Yes. Uh, he tries to convince Pinocchio that, okay, look, we'll figure this out. Just stay here. Let me lock you in the cupboard. I got to go to church and pray for some divine intervention here and figure out what's going on. <laughs> Pinocchio breaks down the cabinet door and insists on going to church as well. The only instance of a 10-year-old doing this ever. <laughs> he goes to the church, but being a abomination in some respects, he is... <laughs> The people, the, the, the small provincial Italian people of the 1930s are a little bit suspicious of the ambulatory wooden boy, including our local uh, Podesta. Italian, yeah, Podesta, the Italian fascist representative, voiced by Ron Perlman, who, bless him, might be the least Italian sounding person in the world. <laughs> But it's a Guillermo del Toro film, oh, and you yeah. know he's going to cast a handful of the same actors. Oh, yeah. God bless him for it. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna do, dub this the Kevin Costner rule. If you can't do the accent, just don't. No, no, no. Like I, I don't, I don't object to him not doing the accent. Yeah, if you I can't. Can, do it. can we really see Ron Perlman going full Mario? Hey, Pinocchio! You know, it's not gonna work. No, it works fine because Perlman is still able to carry this role with so much weight and authority. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, he still has a bit of an Italian accent on certain words, and it doesn't matter. When he tells about how he is, it's like, my son is a good fascist boy. It's like, you're still scared shitless. Yeah, it's Perlman. Perlman's still a very good actor. An uh, amazing voice actor. Oh, yeah. And he decides that, well, this little monstrosity... It might be a threat to the 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 burgeoning Italian Empire <laughs> as as it seeks to reclaim the glory of Rome, uh, which is actually the line that Mussolini used. And he should go to school and at least be educated to be useful and not be a menace. And Geppetto, like, yes, sir, no problem. We will 
The boy will be educated. And he's I, uh, train this, I, I will train this boy. It's fine. And Geppetto, try, he's been trying to just keep his head down and just avoid all the the insanity in his drunken stupor. And then the, uh, you know, the priest yells at him a little bit like, you made this, but, you know, our, our crucifix statue is still half blown apart. Come on, man. <laughs> Priorities. Puts, puts a little bit of the Catholic guilt in, into Geppetto. And then Geppetto's like, yes, I can work again now. He tries to get to instill in Pinocchio some, you know, humanistic values and what it means to be a person. And, and don't stick your feet in the fire. Please don't stick your feet in the fire. <laughs> um, this all kind of goes ultimately a little bit poorly uh, because Pinocchio is a small child without experience or conscience and a little sociopath. <laughs> and he, on a, but uh, Pinocchio is spotted by, uh, I believe it was, is it Tilda Swinton or Kate Blanchett who does the the monkey? Uh, that is Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Tilda Swinton does the Wood Sprite yeah, yeah. and Death. Yeah, apparently Kate Blanchett, when they did Nightmare Alley, pretty much she found out Guillermo del Toro's next project was Pinocchio, and she begged him to put her <laughs> in a voice. And literally, all he had left was Spastura, I think is how the Spastoro, which Spastoro. Actually, which just means garbage. Pretty much. <laughs> and it's not a joke. Like, the, I mean, means. the monkey's got a few lines when it, pup, when it commands some other puppets, but mostly it's just grunting, and Blanchett was like, I don't care! I want this! So Blanchett, I guess, just went full Alan Tudyk on this role. And I was made it work. George Clooney in, like, South Park, where he plays Sparky the dog. <laughs> <laughs> don't be gay, Sparky. Uh, so Spazatoro, the, uh, the monkey runs back to the carnival that is in town and discusses this with everyone's favorite Nazi, Christoph Waltz. <laughs> who I cannot actually, believe had not done voiceover work before this. Uh, who, is not a, who is not a Nazi in real life, just for the record, but <laughs> he played uh, you know, Hans Landa, and that's everyone's favorite cinematic Nazi. <laughs> Probably uh, one of the best villains ever written. We have so much to talk about. Let's I know, go, I know. Let's go. And he goes, so Spazatoro tells this owner of the carnival, this kind of combination of the Fox and Stromboli characters from the original story. It actually works. His name is Count Volpe. Volpe yeah. meaning Fox. Fox. So Volpe, like any good promoter, <laughs> absconds with Pinocchio a little bit and gets him into a legally binding contract that is horribly unfair to the talent. Again, like any good promoter. I didn't yell about this for about 20 minutes yesterday because Dana White is Dana White. No, I did. <laughs> uh, and he wants to put on a show with Pinocchio and he sells Pinocchio on being a star and you'll make so much money and your father will be proud of you. And Pinocchio goes, yeah, sure. Let me give it a shot. This could be fun. He performs and he's a big hit. And Geppetto's like, come on, this is a bad idea. And Pinocchio's like, no, I want to be a star. And they argue. And then Pinocchio gets run over by a truck and dies. <laughs> And then John and John Turturro, God bless him, as the uh, doctor pronounces the wooden boy. There's so much great humor in this movie, for the record. So John Turturro looking at the body and going, "Well, he's there's no pulse, and he's stiff, and he's stiff, <laughs> and he's, he's always stiff, and he's cold." <laughs> Just. And then you get Tim Blake Nelson as the voice of the Black Rabbits. Yeah. The, uh, uh, Pinocchio wakes up in the afterlife very briefly, but because he's not actually alive, he can't die. 
So he meets Death, this uh, this particular uh, incarnation uh, iteration of Death, which is a little bit like a sphinx with a couple of snakes for a tail. I think Draw- they were going for kind of a chimera sort of thing. It draws more heavily on Garon, believe it or not, if you're familiar with um, uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, mm-hmm. the, the creature that guards the way between the seventh and eighth circles of hell. Was it fifth and six? Or six, six and seven? Forgive me. Uh, it matters. <laughs> but again, I, I think it's by Tilda that. Swinton, who voices the Wood Sprite. Yeah. And I think, she, doesn't Death mention that the Wood Sprite is her sister? Yeah. Yeah. And tell you, know, Pinocchio, you're a little boy with a little toy with a stolen soul. So implying that this is actually a little bit of Carlo reincarnated. And well, you can't actually die, but there's still rules that govern the universe. So every time you die, you're going to be stuck here for a longer period each time you die. And Pinocchio's like, hey, I'm immortal. <laughs> like, like a true child, would. completely taking the wrong lesson from that. Like Again, like you would. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't mean that sarcastically. Mm-hmm. I love the up. second time he goes back and he's rubbing in the black rabbit's faces. Oh, I can't die. The black rabbit's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through, we the, go door. through the door. <laughs> <laughs> so he wakes up and the, you know, the fascist goes, yes, you will be the perfect soldier for Italy. And Geppetto's like, boy, this is a bad idea. We're kind of screwed now. And Pinocchio decides, if I go with the carnival, then they can't hold that against me. I can't be drafted. We'll be moving around. And Father will be proud of me. So he joins the carnival and goes around performing more and more elaborate dance routines for the glory of Italy. We get our Golden Globe-nominated song, which I'm hoping will get an Oscar nomination. Because let's just face it, the music in this film is amazing. It's really good. Uh, As the promoter, who, you know with his unfair contract, is taking a lot more than his theoretical share of the profits. But their finale performance, Geppetto is following them, trying to catch up and reclaim Pinocchio. Uh, Their finale performance is meant to be in front of Il Duce himself, Benito Mussolini, who likes puppets, but not these puppets, so burn it all down. Uh, As they're there, um, Spazzatoro has informed... Pinocchio about the shady dealings of Count Volpe. And Volpe becomes a little bit incensed by all of this and tries to reinforce to Pinocchio that you don't understand the nature of our relationship, buddy. (laughs) And beat the crap out of the monkey. Like you do. I hate monkeys. (laughs) I I do. I don't know why I hate monkeys. I'm not surprised, but also what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's just like, okay, non-sequitur for the day. I was rooting for him to hit the monkey, okay? Shock the monkey. Um, they, they improvise a performance that is less flattering to the murderous <laughs> dictator of this country. And he responds like all murderous dictators do when they are insulted or demeaned. or And he <coughs> burns everything down, has people killed. They shoot the puppet. The puppet wakes up again after spending a little bit more time with death because, of course... Around this time, death informs him of the downside to his... Again, you're going to be here forever. You're going to be here for longer each time. You know, you might be stuck here while your father dies. You might never see him again because you're here. And he goes, oh, wait. You mean this? You mean I'm not in... There's consequences to my immortality. Oh, no. Uh, he wakes up as he is being brought to boot camp basically and it's, then Ar- it's essentially the italian version of the hitler youth yeah, yeah. and arlie emery storms in and delivers just the greatest monologue ever i'm kidding <laughs> Full metal jacket we miss reference. you arlie Irby. you were a gift uh 
again, full metal jacket reference there because of the barracks setup. Um, there's a training sequence and Ron Perlman is dissatisfied with his son for being kind of a wuss. And we're trying to teach you how to fight. No, you can't become friends and then declare mutual victory. That's not how this works. It is a really cute scene with them playing capture the flag and realizing that they've tied. Yeah. There's no dialogue. It's just really adorable. Uh, right about then, they're bombed. And uh, Ron Perlman dies in the bombing. Uh, Pinocchio is attacked by Count Volpe. But manage, with the help of Spazatoro, manages to escape. In the meantime, Geppetto has been swallowed by Monstro. Geppetto and uh, the Cricket have been swallowed by Monstro. And they're living in his stomach, eating the fish that he has swallowed. And Monstro looks amazing, for the record. <laughs> Did they say he was like a giant mutated dogfish or I something? I think so. That's what he looked like. Yeah, they say he comes up every 20 years... I freak, I do love when he they're sailing across, and when the dogfish shows up, the the cap the sea captain that Geppetto hired, he's just like, "I'm out of here!" It just jumps off board. Yeah, uh, so there again, they are able to the uh, Pinocchio and Spazatoro get swallowed by Monstro, where he is reunited with Geppetto. They manage to escape from uh, the whale monster, the dogfish. But in the process, um, Pinocchio dies as he detonates a landmine inside of the uh, sea mine inside of the fish. And Geppetto is drowning and Pinocchio goes in to see death and says, you have to send me back early. He could die. And death goes, there are rules and I can't break them. And if you choose to break them, there are consequences like you'll be mortal. And he goes, I don't care. I'd rather save my father. So he breaks the hourglass. He returns to the land of the living minus an arm and a leg and sort of manages to kind of with his diminished capacity, get Geppetto to shore, saving him as everyone else washes up on shore. But Pinocchio has expired during the course of these events and Geppetto wants him to come back and is very heartbrokenly lamenting his life on the beach. And the wood sprite shows up again and says, no, he's a, he was a real boy for a little bit there. And Real boys don't come back. I'm sorry. Everyone loses it and starts crying. This was the point where I just started bawling. And then uh, Sebastian Cricket goes, but wait, I finally learned ninth level spells and I cast wish. (laughs) (laughs) And I wish for you to put him back. And the wood sprite goes, you know, we made that deal in good faith. Okay. So, revives Pinocchio. And Pinocchio then gets to live out the rest of Geppetto's life before he peacefully and lovingly passes away and buries him. And then the cricket dies and is stuck in a matchbox now in the cavity, now in the chest cavity of the wooden (laughs) puppet. And then the monkey dies, and we're left with the notion that, you know, Pinocchio will probably die someday, but until then, he's out bringing joy to the world. And... You know, the world is a better place for his existing in it as Sebastian Cricket plays cards with the Black Rabbits and then finally gets to sing his song. And he's been trying to sing for the entire movie. <laughs> All right, Zachary, what'd you think of the movie? So I really liked it. Uh, obviously, I thought I thought they called it Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio just because they were quite a lot of Pinocchio, Pinocchio. <laughs> 
Is that the plural term? <laughs> it might be, actually. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, Pinocchios. This, but, man, this was, this was definitely a different adaptation, which I'm cool with. I feel like the problem with, as long as it tells it in a good way and it sticks to its own rules, I think it's fair game. Like It's obviously not like the book and, mm. and not like the Disney version, but they do borrow elements from both the book and the Disney version. Because I mean, in the I mean, in the book, the Blue Fairy it doesn't grant Pinocchio life. He just she's a character, but she doesn't. But I'm okay with that. I'm I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem with like the Zemeckis version was it 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 made its own rules and then it didn't follow them. But this one it did because right. like I mean like this one like like with uh with like the Zemeckis version it was like they were trying to like say oh it's like he's got to learn lessons but he can never do no wrong. And this one, he obviously makes mistakes, and he obviously he does that. And uh, I'm gonna say something a little negative uh, about the film, but it did. But it does get better, though. Um, I don't know. When I first saw this movie, um, I thought Pinocchio for the second, third of the movie, I thought he was ungodly annoying. <laughs> a little bit. Like, like the middle, the middle third. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, because he was like screaming, and he was like, I was like, the part where he got honestly in my head because I'm in a theater and I'm an adult and I'm courteous. Uh, the part where he, uh, the part where he got run over by a car in my head, I'm like, yay, movie over, <laughs> <laughs> and we're done here, and we're done, oh. and roll credits. <laughs> Would have been a brave choice, uh, but no, I mean it does, but it, he does get more tolerable. I don't know, maybe because he screams every line, maybe because he... It's a weird because, I mean, the same actor who does Carlo does Pinocchio, and he, um, I don't know, it seems like a totally different actor. I mean, it's obviously a different performance, but... You know, to that point, like, very clearly directed to be different in those two roles, and to the credit of the voice actor, again, they, you know it's the same guy, but they are such different personalities. Yeah. I thought it was... Uh, I mean, it was good. I thought it was good. The, uh, I thought the, um, the Mussolini character, which, by the way, this is the second. If I had a nickel every time Tom Kenny was in a Pinocchio movie in 2022, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's strange that it happened twice. You're correct. That's just the awesomeness of Tom Kenny. Yeah, Tom Kenny's awesome. Um, he played a few other characters, but uh, I think he played the, the boat captain. He did. Yeah. Uh, then he did someone else, but uh, I, I don't want to get off track. Um, but yeah, I really liked. And I'm glad I saw this on the big screen. And but when I saw it the second time, I saw it on I saw it on my phone, um, just because um, I was watching because I wanted to refresh it a little bit, um, my memory because I saw it a week before um, before it came out. Um, but yeah, it's very it's very good. Honestly, I wouldn't think of. Uh, Pinocchio and Mussolini existing in the same world. But speaking of that, I mean, I mean, I know Pinocchio is not really a fairy tale. I mean, it, it is definitely a dark fantasy, but, um, but yeah, this version, I mean, nothing gets realer than world war one and two. I mean, I mean, with the exception of the blue fairy and the talking cricket and a wooden boy, I mean, it really is. It's a very dark, 
it's a very dark, realistic, gritty take on it. It's it's very grounded, which is yeah. weird to say about it, but it does well, try to it, it anchors itself very much in the human experience. Well, I wanted to go to Alexis next, but that is something I wanted to comment on since you brought it up. Oh, there's one thing I want to say before. Just um, the, the poop song. It, it I honestly didn't. It didn't. I didn't mind it. It didn't fecal matter. Um, sorry, not sorry. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Sad trombone right out of your uh, thoughts there. Um. What I liked about this movie was uh, you talked about like emotional grounding. I, I really wanted to talk about the first 10 to 20 minutes, but before I do, let me say that scene where Pinocchio is given life initially and Geppetto is drunk and then having to react to it. You know, I was thinking about the original 1940s classic and, you know, Geppetto is just so happy to have Pinocchio be alive that, you know, they're dancing and everything and, Give a little whistle, do do, and always let your conscience be your guide, and all that. And here, who wouldn't freak the fuck out? <laughs> you know, like I, I, I carved this puppet out of. Oh my god, it's alive! Deep, you know, like I was not even know, finished. It's got nails sticking out of its back. Yeah, I, I like the idea that there was some thought put into what if this would really happen to someone? How would they react? They would react like a crazy person. You know, they would re they react scared out of their mind. They would attack the thing. But by the same token, you know, you call them like a little sociopath. You're not wrong. You know, if you were to just wake up and be 10 with no context of how the world works or having, you know, no experiences. One of the things I love, it, it's the most annoying thing, but I loved it was. <laughs> I won't I won't do the joke, but I definitely had something in my head about this, um, about a certain someone I know. Which is like everything that they react to. It's like I love it. Like what is this thing? I love it. They're like oh, this my. I laughed hard when he was like, "What is this hammer? Oh, it's meant for hit. It's meant for smashing things." He's just smashing shit throughout the uh, the. Cottage. What is this chamber pot? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, like if you, life is a wonderful, uh, wonderful, glorious, uh, colorful thing. And when you don't have sort of like the, the burden of experience and you're just sort of experiencing things for the first time, that is how you would react. Everything f feels like magic. Everything is wonderful from a chamber pot to a hammer to, you know, to a book. And as annoying as it was, because it was a lot of repetition, I like the fact that Guillermo del Toro made the character that way that had, you know, that had that youthful exuberance that had that sense of innocence, but was also like quasi destructive. You know, because that's exactly how someone would be if you just woke up and you existed. You um, basically gave voice to a cat. Yeah, essentially. Uh, essentially, it was like you, you, you took a toddler brain and put it inside of a 10-year-old. Yep. Um, and then again, Geppetto's reaction to him was not positive. It was negative, And that's exactly how it should have been. I liked the political element to it. Uh, again, we're living in fascist Italy. And there was like, I, you know, we're less interested in the fact that he's a wooden. I like, I do like this. It was kind of like that Ninja Turtles line from uh, the first, you know, <laughs> what was that? Uh, it was a six foot Ninja Turtle. Like so a getting off of Kennedy, right? Yeah, it looked like, like a, a turtle in a trench coat. Like a big oh, turtle in a trench coat. You're going to LaGuardia, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. that's the one. <laughs> the guy just goes... the one. <laughs> right. It was very much just like, we're less interested in the fact that he's a wooden puppet come to life but can we make use of him in some way in the you know in the war effort 
and we make him a good fascist youth. Which, if there's anything more human about this movie, it's that. Um, <laughs> puppet Muppet, Wood Schmud, make him a he's soldier. A, he's immortal. Let's. Yeah, let's see. If we we're, let's we're, face we're... it. Nothing has been invented in our world where somebody didn't look at it and say, "So how can I use this to hurt the one hurt my enemy?" Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll, I'll take the opportunity to now, and I'll pitch it over to Alexis. I I broke down hard when they dropped the bombs over the church especially the way that it was said um, because unlike this Zemeckis movie um, and really unlike the cartoon, you, you got the strong sense of love between Carlo and Geppetto and through no fault of anyone's own through sheer happenstance, Carlo is blown up and it's an absolutely heart wrenching, horrific scene. But, and Robert, I, I really do want to get your take on this because you and I have you know talked for years about, the lack of bravery in film. It's hard to kill a kid on screen, even in an animated feature. And he did it. He did it big time. There's a couple of things that make it easier. One is animated. Sure. That helps. Two, and I think this is, I think what really makes it, I don't mean to say that this is a, this is not, you know, again, kind of a still a bold choice, but it would have been, um, I think the reaction to it would have been different if he hadn't set it up with the narrator saying that you know, the narrator tells us this kid's going to mm -hmm. die. Right. So, which I'm not entirely in love with that choice, by the way. I, 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 I kind of wish they'd left that part out and then we just got a straight story. I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence about it. it it's kind of the, it's a well, little it's, bit it's um, telegraphed well, and it's telegraphed. Well, no, 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 there's a, there's actually a perfectly good reason for it. Okay. It's the old, um, you've heard Hitchcock's discussion about whether, about the bomb being under the table, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what we're dealing with here. We, the audience know that bomb is there and it's going to go off. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, so that's why, like, it's there to build a little bit of tension. And I think it's there to, so you don't have to rely on like your meta knowledge about this kid dying. Mm-hmm. To be the source of tension, you have the you have you know, the narrator say, "Yeah, he lost his son during the first war, and man, what a tragedy." Then we get we get to see this, and there's a it's a different kind of tragedy to know that yeah. that the tragedy is coming. I forget the there's a literary term for it, and I forget mm -hmm. what it is, so I apologize. But Sorry, what? Great. But you they could have done the thing where they you know where they didn't have that, and you just right. see him die. But I think that might have. Well, they could have done like a the, cut. They you see the bombs, and then they just cut to the grave. And instead, they show you the church being blown to bits. I'm yeah, yeah that I am very much in favor of for the record. Well, like, but that's the thing. Like the rea why I cried at that moment was I just watched a kid get blown up. Say what you will. That that stuff bothers me. Um, uh, and and hey. the, and and bravery and commendations to. Uh, the people who work on this film to put that in the movie because again, a, in a different world, in a, in a less brave movie, they show you the bombs and they cut to the, they they cut to the funeral. That's yeah. it. You don't you don't see the church blow up. Um, the other side of it is you don't. I was thinking about something Alexis and I talked about a little ways back about you know how Bugs Bunny cartoons and whatnot were really meant for adults back in the day, and for and there was there was. Uh, representations of drug and alcohol use in classic Looney Tunes. 
you know, more specifically, the one that I always draw a um, a parallel to, the one I always draw as an example is uh, Elmer Fudd. The, the dog gets drunk, and Elmer Fudd says to the dog, "Wova, you're plastered." It's like not meant for children. That that that's a joke for adults. Um, but it's so funny. <laughs> and so you you know you would look at this and you go, like, "Oh, this is a stop motion animated feature. This is clearly a children's fair." But what you see with Geppetto, who's drunk and traumatized and bereft, uh, uh, you know, and, unable, and, unable to process, unable to move on. Right. And so he's drunk and he's like angrily, like, ha you know, hacking at a tree. Like all of the, all, like the, the creation of Pinocchio kind of draws from like that almost like Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like mad, like I, I have this thing in me and I got to get it out of me and this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm, you know, like rendering himself and all of that. I, Del Toro did say there were, he it got elements of Frankenstein mm -hmm. into the story arc. Right. And that's, and that's what I was seeing too. And again, all, all the credit in the world for going that way, because again, <laughs> compared to the classic where, you know, it's, you know, it's it's almost like the one the one flashback scene in Breaking Bad where he's making the uh, the shoebox or whatever. Um, you know, all this care and energy you put into it. Like, no, this was like, ah, I'm so mad and like, you know, like slamming this puppet together. Like, you almost expected it to get up and like be this monstrosity, you know. But it, it's not. You know, Guillermo del Toro really could have ugly that up, but he chose not to. Um, and I really we could really have we could have had Quasimodo there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, this Still expression a little of rage. disturbing looking, really. He's got the long mm -hmm. nose, he's got all the nails in his back. Mm -hmm. Only but, one um, ear. I, that was the second time I cried. It's just the I, I, you know, being a mental health person, I really, you know, to feel for someone's loss, to, to be there with them when they are expressing the rage of having lost a loved one, especially a, lo a beloved child, and and then you know being drunk and out of control like that hurt me that hurt me to watch and it's funny because i i talk to people all the time it's just like i don't really watch movies and tv uh to to make to feel bad i do it to escape reality to feel good but i i treasure movies like this that make me feel the full range of human emotion and not just happiness and that's what i, I really appreciated this i will say this um my only other craft my only, i think it's a great movie and it, it absolutely deserves to win all the awards i will tell you after the second time he dies i started losing interest in the movie and th that's just me I i'm not saying that everyone should feel the same way or that's definitely a craft criticism i will say there's a degree of repetition that sort of takes me out of things at times the and the movie gets the second half is a little slow um it picks up again with monstro i think but that the period in between i feel like the pacing's a bit off but it also might be the, when, when I was watching it and what I was distracted with. So I'll pitch it over to you, Alexis. What were your thoughts on the craft of the movie? Well, going back to what a bunch of you guys were saying, that yes, Pinocchio could come across as a little annoying because he yells everything in the first third, but... I love it! <laughs> I want to dip I my know, balls Zach, in you it. okay? You look like you're falling asleep in your chair. Sorry, long day. I'm still. I'm listening though. Okay, no, just making sure you're all right. My favorite part of Pinocchio was when he screamed out, "I want to dip my balls in it." <laughs> it was so stunning and brave. 
For me, this was one of the first times that we've seen an adaptation of Pinocchio where I felt like he acted like a real kid. Yeah. Even to that scene where he essentially throws a little temper tantrum because he wants hot chocolate. It's like, right. that is a kid. That yeah. is the way... Ch things that i noticed with geppetto how even in the song where it's like you know what is this what is this that yeah you're right he's terrified but you notice he's kind of getting charmed a little mm. bit the fear is dissipating and you see that in david bradley's performance which shocked me by the way because i know david bradley mostly in villainous roles like mm. when uh from the harry potter movies and game of thrones He's a scary looking man and he gets cast a lot as very villainous. Say, he looks like the, he looks like the living version of the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, he really bit. does. It's like there's a reason he plays Argus Flint in the Harry Potter movies so well. He, it's like that's the kind of that's, that's the kind of character that none of the students would want to piss off. <laughs> and but he and when I heard he was in this I'm like, "Oh, he's probably going to play the villainous role." I'm like, "Holy shit, no, he's Geppetto." Mm -hmm. and he sells it so well i love that yeah yes he starts off scared but you hear the charm and the love build up yeah and again talking about comparing this to zemeckis's thing that at the end of the zemeckis pinocchio the idea is that geppetto apologizes for ever making pinocchio feel like he had to be a real boy to love him which we have argued about how Disney is on this kick with their live action adaptations of, oh, the main characters are already perfect and it's the world that needs to change and accept them for who they are. This actually did it right. This made us understand why Geppetto wanted him to act like Carlo. And this made that arc at the end when he says, you don't have to be Carlo. You don't have to be anything but what you are. It, it hits and yeah. it just feels it's, so much more earned. When he, when he the, says, hang on, hang on. I just it's, want you to, hang, I, I, real quick, done. I just want you to be a good boy. It's a simple enough line, but it really gets me right in the heart. It's the difference between preaching a point and understanding how to weave your point into character. Mm -hmm. Del Toro wanted to make, he clearly didn't want to turn Pinocchio into a being of flesh and blood at the end. Right. He could have done that if he wanted to. <laughs> He didn't want to. So he makes being real in this case being re real here is not about your physical makeup. It's about how you view the world and how you interact with it. Right. Pinocchio becomes real when he becomes fully mortal, when all the same perils and pitfalls that assail everyone assail him. Like when he becomes fully you know, aware of the world and becomes fully empathetic to everything going on around him, that's when he becomes real. And you could make that point badly. And instead, you know, he makes it about Geppetto finally kind of moving on from and processing his grief. Right. I mean, it's what really the whole movie is about. The, the movie is about how does one deal with grief? And there's this projection onto this puppet. I think... I think it's very easy to focus on the adventures of the puppet, but really the theme of the movie is the processing of grief. You know, how do you move, how do you move on from the loss of love? I do also think it was a very bold choice to put it in world war two, Italy. Mm -hmm. You know, the, again, this is, I don't want to say a current theme, but we saw with pan's labyrinth, just 
how well Guillermo del Toro understands a country that is gripped by its own fascism. Mm-hmm. We see so much that it's like where we see they're the enemy, that this other country is the enemy. We very rarely get to see stories about the innocent people in those countries who have nothing to do with that war, but right. are still getting wrapped up in it. It's, it's funny. They, there was conversations about, you, we brought up the Hitler youth earlier and I think between, you know, Nazi Germany and then communist Russia, there were people who were not true believers in either philosophy, but if you wanted to work, you had to be in the party and every job was a government job. Mm-hmm. So in order to have the government job, you had to be in the party. So there's a lot of not, there's a lot of communists, not communists, and a lot of Nazi, not Nazis. It was one of the things that they had a difficulty settling after the war. It was like, oh, we have all these war criminals. Hang on. Not every Nazi was a real Nazi. Some of these people were Nazis just because, well, that was how you became a garbage man. But See, there's a line yeah. in the first Captain America movie from Stanley Tucci's mm-hmm. character, remember, because he mm-hmm. says he was from Germany. And he says a lot of people forget that Germany was the first country the Nazis invaded. Right. So, and again, I think that's really a good point. And I think it is a lot to look at this innocent little village that it's under the control of the Podesta. And again, Ron Perlman sells the role, Mm -hmm. but they have nothing to do with the war. And you have this great bit with Candlewick, voiced by everyone's favorite current uh, teen actor, Finn Wolfhard. And there's just so much in his performance. And again, credit to the animation, the scene where the boys are in the bunker and they're going to sleep. And they're talking about how it's like, you know, uh, Candlewick is saying, it's like, my father says, uh, you cannot fear death. You know, you have to fight for the country. And you look over him and he's crying. And the animation on that is amazing. The fact that they have this, these subtle tears coming out of this puppet's, uh, not the puppet, but the claymation Candlewick's eyes. It's like, I, mm-hmm. I have to be careful how I use the word puppet in this description. But it's so powerful that he's sitting there going, I'm going to do what my father wants and I'm going to make him proud of me. And he's crying because he's terrified. And Finn sells that for I cannot think of a single actor in this movie who doesn't sell it. He, again, going back to the kid voicing Pinocchio and Carlo. I want to quick jump in on something you said because it didn't dawn on me until you, until you said it kind of so much of children's media so much of the animation media is like geared towards women and girls now this was a very boy driven film mm-hmm. yeah like shockingly to the, because just because there's if you look at like the slate of stuff coming out of pixar and disney and uh some of the other animation houses they tend to want to be they tend to want to gear their products towards a female audience so there's like lighter touches and things and not since like Luca have I seen something that was very much a boy film. And it didn't even occur to me now until we were just starting to have this discussion about how like boy centric this movie is. Again, unapologetically boy centric too, because it's also the kind of thing where if you make something that's boy centric now, you, you, you tend to get yourself in trouble with the intelligentsia on Twitter. And it was like, nope, I, that's what this is. That's what the story is. The, the, there's a lot of boy in Pinocchio. And that's what we're going to focus on, and we're not going to we're not going to girl this up a bit. And uh, and I'm and I'm quite I'm quite interested in the in the, again the bravery of those who who uh, made that choice. Go ahead, Alexis. But going back to the voice acting, the kid who plays Pinocchio and Carlo, I'm just going to say I think this is the most. 
this this child actor uh what what's his name gregory mann i think is the name yeah. of the actor gives the most earnest innocent sounding performance mm-hmm. i can ever remember hearing out of a voice actor and especially from a child he played again the fact that he is able to give such a different performance between carlo and pinocchio is fantastic there is a difference between them i just love hearing him talk about how all the things that he's experiencing and how he's understanding them the line is like when his father calls him a burden and he says his nose didn't grow when he when he said that just it breaks your heart this i don't know how many other things this kid has been in but i want him to do more this is an at child actor i want to see continue i really think he's got an amazing potential here all right robert you want to back clean up real quick we're at the hour mark so sure or less. i don't really have a negative thing to say about this movie mm-hmm. um this is a lovely film the amount of effort that goes into making this kind of movie is remarkable. I mean, if, if you've never, there's the behind, there's like the making of featurette that's on Netflix as well about this. It's worth your time. Stop motion animation is labor intensive. It is time consuming. And this movie is smooth. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, There, there's times when you know it's stop motion, either because we're looking close enough to kind of see the modeling, but the motion of all the characters uh uh-uh. like a lot of this looks as every bit as smooth as anything that's drawn or cgi'd it's yeah genuinely remarkable uh the voice acting is it's universally great you know, ron perlman is great christoph waltz choose scenery like nobody else like he's I kept, great at it every time you and mcgregor delivered a line i kept oh having, god i kept hearing <laughs> i kept hearing in my head but you were the chosen one pinocchio <laughs> he's Ewan McGregor, and I mean this as a compliment, he is the perfect amount of over-the-top for that character. Yes. Can we like, all just he... enjoy the little bit of slapstick we also got with oh, the torturing the crickets? Life is a series of pain. pain. <laughs> like, th- there's so much humor in this movie. Like, I laughed mm-hmm. at this movie more than I cried at it, but I, I, I felt both emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's so much good humor. There's a running gag. I actually wanted one more instance of it, believe it or not, where, where uh, the cricket wants to sing this song. Like he starts at one point and is just immediately ignored. As Jacobo I had total Monty off. Python vibes. It was like <laughs> I wanted that. No, no, no. Yes. No singing. No singing. <laughs> he got, just, no, 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 no. Stop that. And no singing. Oh, go to the glass of water. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted one more because he does it once and then Geppetto just runs off from him and he goes, "Hey, wait, wait up, wait for me." He does it once right before they're eaten by Monstro. He gets a few more bars in on yeah, that one. I, I wanted one more. I don't know exactly where it would have been, but I wanted one more. Like, mm-hmm. McGregor gives a great... It's a wonderful mix of heartfelt and comedic. Like, the bit where Geppetto's... At, it's revealed Geppetto is using him as bait for the fish that they're fishing for. <laughs> like, I, I laughed. <laughs> so, uh, Ewan McGregor's... Again, he's very, very good in this. I love um, the line where Geppetto sees him living in and first I was like, ah, he's got cockroaches! <laughs> yep there's i there's a very human spirit to all of this like you mentioned with some of the different characters reactions you know geppetto being first like horrified by this then kind of accepting that okay i got we'll try something here 
and he still can't get over the loss of his son. So there's still so much grief and so much anger that he's carrying and it explodes out at like, as it does when you carry it around, like, it comes out at the worst times mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's just rough, but it's all very true to the character. Uh, parts of this are very, very heart wrenching. You know, that bit at the end when I was, I genuinely wasn't sure if they were going to bring Pinocchio back or not. Mm-hmm. Like, that's to the credit of this story. Like they get to the end where he's sobbing, holding the broken puppet on the beach and somewhere in my head is they might not do it. Right. Like the Geppetto might like the, 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 the message of this one might be that he finally learns to grieve properly going forward. And this is more about him than anything else. And the puppet's just dead. Mm-hmm. And they didn't obviously, but they could have, and it would have still been satisfying. And when you get to that point in this story and you could go either way with that choice, that means everything else has been done right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely everything. <laughs> I stand by what I said when the wood sprite says he was a real boy and real boys don't come back. I, yeah. I was bawling that... and I've admitted, I've talked about how every now and then we watch a movie and I get a little teary eyed mm-hmm. and, and I do, but, I this is the first movie in a while where I was just like nope full crying just full tears full sobbing I yeah th- this movie really gut punched me yeah I, I like I said the the bombing and then him at the gravesite chopping down the tree and all of that that all got to me real bad the and the last thing I want to say and this is about Del Toro as a director you mentioned that it's a shame we never got his two part Hobbit movie. Mm-hmm. which I think would have been excellent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here's the other thing that I want Del Toro to do, and I don't think it'll ever happen. And In some ways, I hope it doesn't because of the various parties involved. But Del Toro, more than just about any other filmmaker going right now, understands myth. He understands mythology and how to weave that into narrative. This is why he has a great handle on Lovecraft stuff, because he understands the mythos and the mythology and how to make it work. It's why he was so good as, uh, in the second Blade movie, because he gets the mythology. It's why Shape of Water is so good. That's a myth. That's a fairy tale. Oh, you mean uh, Grinding Dory? Grinding Nemo. <laughs> Grinding Nemo. <laughs> Has to be gay. Yes. Or you know, love Shape of it Water. It totally that's does. That's a good movie. Having sex with water. It's again, it's a really good movie. I mean, I, I can you know, somewhat jokingly call it that, but it, it's a great movie, mm. but it's a myth, right? There's a franchise that is currently in distress. That is fundamentally a mythological franchise. You are building this up so much. <laughs> if you want to save Star Wars, Guillermo I del knew, is your guy. I knew that's where you were going with this. Like I'm not, this I'm not kidding. No, but I but you're not wrong. I, Star Wars has because Star Wars is, Star Wars is modern mythology. Like well, this is what I, I don't want to go on a tangent, but to to, to so it, everyone understands, and I'm going to and I'm going to go. I'm going to say this, and I really don't want to get into a whole conversation about it. But okay. if people are like why Star Wars, Star Wars has suffered under the weight of someone's vision being preoccupied with message and Kennedy. not <laughs> Kennedy. Um... <laughs> Uh, at least we all know who properly to roast. <laughs> um, 
they've been more preoccupied with inclusion and messaging than they were with properly representing the universe and telling good uh, stories. And I think if, you know, between, you know, you have John Favreau out there, you have the other guy that he works with, with the cowboy hat, but, um, Rodriguez. But it, yeah. But I think if you, um, as you, as you were saying, I think if you really wanted somebody who's like, just wants to play in the universe and isn't going to get bogged down in messaging, or we're going to get the forces female out of there and all of that. Yeah. I, I would agree with you. Guillermo del Toro. Cause right now star Wars is a dead brand. Nobody cares. Pretty much. No, th- that has lost its fan base. I mean, you'll always have Star Wars fans, but right, modern Star Wars, nobody cares about. Unless um, it's the Disney Plus series with Mandalorian and Andor. Even then, man. Well, I was going to say, I don't think anyone watched Andor. But um, it, hey, it, plug, it, plug. Go check it, out okay. our review of it. Hang on. Andor is, a, Andor is Star Wars for adults. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that like in a weird way, but Andor is a very adult Star Wars story. And God bless it. There's room in the Star Wars universe for those stories. But it and the people I know who have watched have generally enjoyed it. But it was right, but not, I think it's like the least watched thing on Disney Plus. That or She Hulk. Like yeah. it's it's well, no, no, no. Sorry. Willow is now the least watched thing on Disney. The Willow. So my point being, if you're looking for somebody who's, you know, <clears throat> who wouldn't want to see a Star Wars movie done by Guillermo del Toro just out of sheer curiosity? Oh, see, I, like I, what I, he could do with the monsters, the aliens. Take you a know, look at if, the scene from Hellboy 2 where they're in the troll market and imagine mm-hmm. that actually being in outer space. Right. So and wrap again, up your point, Robert. He, again, he gets myth. He yeah. understands mythology. Star Wars is a mythological story. Fundamentally, right. this is what this is. And Lucas understood that for the most part early mm-hmm. on. I mean, even the pre even the prequel series still understands the importance of the mythology of Star Wars. For all the faults that those movies have, and there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. it understands the narrative arc and it understands the structure and how that has to play into what is Star Wars. Now, could you imagine if he had allowed for collaboration on those prequel stories? Because he has like a he has a solid, you know, an angel who falls from great story going on. Dude, I mean this but in all hang on, He just I, needed somebody who could like translate his vision. I mean this in all sincerity. The decision to have the Sith be the underdogs in that story. <laughs> not kidding. There's only two of them. There's a million <laughs> Jedi. The Republic is at the height of its power, but it's also at the height of its corruption and its excess and its own bloated bureaucracy, and it is ripe for falling. So one very intelligent, very conniving Sith Lord is able to orchestrate its downfall. But let's be clear, he is the underdog. Look at all the stuff Palpatine has to do to make that work. Yeah. Like, that guy is working <laughs> for that. It's a right. really good narrative twist. So finish up your point with Yemel Del Toro so we can move on to the yes, money. I, personally, so, I'm still just disappointed we're not getting Del Toro's take on Haunted Mansion. Would have liked that, too. But this is a guy who understands myth so well that he's the guy who could bring that element back to Star Wars, which is what it's been missing. And I'm not even a big Mm. Star Wars guy, but I can tell you this is what it's missing. This is what has been utterly absent from J.J. Abrams being just a stage manager, because that's all he is. Yeah. And poor Ryan Johnson, who actually had an artistic vision. (laughs) Yes, he just ran ran afoul of any expectations Star Wars fans had. Pretty much. I, th- I think we've all agreed we don't hold Ryan Johnson responsible for what happened with The Last Jedi. I, uh, look, I'm on the record as saying I like The Last Jedi and I defended you know. it. But, yeah. I, but I defended it as a movie, not as a Star Wars fan. 
Yeah, and it, there's it, where it, I ran afoul of people. Yeah, if you were if you were to take the Last Jedi purely as someone who is a big fan of Star Wars as an IP, there's a million problems with it. If you're you know like me who doesn't care about it and just <laughs> thinks the Last Jedi is a very interesting movie, yeah, in a lot of respects, then it's fine. But if you're the kind of guy who's like you know no. I need Star Wars to be as Star Warsy as possible. Then yeah, <coughs> Luke being Luke being human, it runs a. And look, I I don't even mean like the people who wanted Luke to single handedly take down the First Order. Like I don't need that. If you're a Star Wars fan, you don't necessarily need that. They just still want Luke to be a hero. Right. They don't hey, want him to be a broken we, we man. Gotta move this on. I know. Yeah. Speaking so, of Ryan Johnson, anyone seen Glass Onion yet? Oh Not my yet. God! I just said move this on. <laughs> <Not yet. laughs> We'll Not talk yet, about it in I, January. I will <laughs> Sorry, it. Mark, I couldn't resist. Yeah, I'll see it before the review, and I look forward to it because um, I very much enjoyed Knives Out. But then again, Johnson with too much freedom might be a problem. So I don't know what Del Toro is doing next specifically, but and to be clear, I hope he doesn't make a Star Wars movie just because I don't want that poor man to suffer <laughs> under that. The yoke of Kennedy. I want some. Uh, I'll save my yelling about Kathleen Kennedy for Indy Five. I, I, I will give that that last shot to hang themselves before I really lose my mind. Right. Yeah, I, no, I don't want him to suffer under that. But if you gave him the right freedoms, that's the guy who would make the best Star Wars movie probably ever. Okay. Are we good? Now uh, this movie is again. It's a lovely film. If you're even loosely curious, watch it. It is great. All right, and with that said, here comes the money. We're in the money. Alrighty. There's uh, no money, so we're all gonna yell at Disney for being terrible. <laughs> Why don't we discuss how about the Golden Globe nominations for best? Uh... Why don't you let me do my fucking show? <laughs> Jesus Christ! On a budget of thirty-five million dollars, there is no money. Um... Wait! Whoa! 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 Seriously? That's what it says here. Thirty-five million dollars. Boy, they. Str- Dang. Yeah. I would have bet. At, I would have bet at least fifty. Like. They, this does not look like a $35 million movie, and I don't mean that as an insult at all. I'm um, pretty a lot sure better. majority of the voice actors did this for decreased salaries, and the ch- again, we have Kate Blanchett basically groveled at Del right. Toro's feet to get a role. I'm pretty sure most of these actors did. It's like, I don't care how much I get paid, I just want to work this film. In November of... <clears throat> In November of 2018, Netflix set the film's release date for 2021. January 21, Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos revealed the release could be moved to 2022 or later, with Netflix's notion of releasing six animated films a year. In December of 2021, Del Toro stated it will be released in the last quarter of 2022. In January and July of 2022, with the release of the film Scrapped Prologue, it was announced for a December release. Pinocchio premiered at the BFI London Film Festival on October 15, 2022. It debuted in the U.S. at the 2022 AFI Fest on November 5, 2022. It was released in select cinemas that Zach saw it at on November 9th, and began streaming on Netflix December 9th. Uh, one of the theaters scheduled to show the film on November 11th was the uh, Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto, Ontario. It has been nominated for the following and won some of these. Uh, it won Best Original Score in an Animated Film at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards, Best Original Fair Song enough. in an Animated Film. Uh, it was nominated for a music themed film bi- biopic or musical. Um, and the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, it was it won for Best Animated Film and Best Animated Feature. 
I'm sorry, uh, best animated film for the Washington D.C. area Film Critics Association. It won best okay. animated feature. If you want to do this, let's focus on major awards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading through some of these. Best uh, nominated for best animated screenplay, best original score, best voice performance, and then um, it's got not pending nominations for the Chicago Film Critics Association, the St. Louis Gateway Film Critics. For Golden Globes, Best Animated Feature Film, uh, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song. And then it's nominated for the Best Motion Picture Animated or Mixed Media for a Satellite. Um, what else did you want to add to this, Alexis? Well, as far as the animated feature for the Golden Globes, it's up against Marcel with the, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and Turning Red. Uh, we well, I, I, I think they threw Turning Red in there because it's like, fuck, we got to throw a Disney one in there. But the and only sure two... as hell we're throwing in Strange World. No, but I'll tell you, I've heard the rumors are that Puss in Boots is actually really, really good. So I'm not it shocked is. by that one. And I've, Marcel, I've been... with, Marcel the shell with the shoe, uh, he with the shoes on, has been like, everyone's favorite animated feature up until Pinocchio. Yeah, Mar this is kind of a two horse race between Marcel and Pinocchio. Like, yeah. like sh yeah. uh, Puss in Boots is I haven't seen it yet, but I'm with you. I've heard that like it's shockingly good. Yeah, especially considering I'm, it's like the third movie in this like sadly pop culture memeified franchise. I think it's like the second Puss in Boots movie, which is a spinoff of the Shrek movies. But yes, it is. It's the second one. Okay. The first one we, the first one was terrible. It was just really. <laughs> it, was almost, it was almost as bad as Shrek three. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. So the weekend goes like this. Uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever still the number one movie in the world, five weeks running, and I think it broke a record. I'm sure, I'm sure they could find some record that it technically broke. Violet Knight maintained its spot in the number two, Strange World, which will be on Disney Plus December 23rd. And should have gone straight streaming, but no, we don't want to hurt the feelings of all the people who worked on it. Piss off. Yeah, didn't, who said that? Who said it in the network chat that Pixar is officially flipping them off for that comment? That'd be Robert. Might have been me, but I, they, would, they should be. Menu maintained its spot at four, Devotion five. Black Adam um, went up one. a spot from seven to six. Yeah, the doesn't Fablemans, it come out on HBO Max this weekend? Something like that. Yep. Right. The Fablemans eight to seven. Uh, Met Opera the Hours debuted at eight. I heard the bells jump uh, drop from six to nine. Spoiler alert: jumped up. It apparently opened in a bunch oh, of new theaters. Looks like twenty one to ten. Ticket to Paradise ten to eleven, and that's currently PVOD. Um, the Whale. Which I've, I've heard mixed reviews about. I've heard that it's maudlin. I've heard that it's really here's, good. Here's the thing about The Whale. Mm -hmm. Brendan Fraser's performance is very, very good. The movie itself is a bit excessive, even by Darren Aronofsky standards. Okay. I've heard, essentially, a lot of people are going to be afraid to give The Whale bad reviews because this is the comeback film for Brendan Fraser, and he deserves it. You know, mm. no uh, question again, like, there. It's one of those things where it's okay to criticize the movie as long as you give props to the elements of it that are good. Frazier's acting is very, very good in that role. Other debuts, other, the movie. other debuts this week, Evangeline, the mean one, Empire of Light, Christmas, uh, Bloody Christmas. Why do you hurt me like that, Mark? What? Which one? The mean one? No, his mispronunciation of Evangelion. Oh, uh... <clears throat> Well, the mean one was that Grinch parody that came out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hard. <laughs> nice. Good. Uh, I'm glad it sucked. 
<coughs> Father Stu got a re-release, and then we have the sparring partner to the end, the trial re-release, and that's that for the weekend. So it's the reason why we did Pinocchio this week, because there's not a lot that was worth talking about. So, World- <clears throat> yeah, do, yeah, do the worldwide, and then I'm going to briefly yell at Disney. Okay. Worldwide, Top Gun, Jurassic World, Doctor Strange, Minions, The Batman, Black Panther. Currently, uh, it finally passed Thor. So last week it was beneath Thor. This week it passed it. This week we'll see if it uh, passes the Batman. It looks like I imagine it'll pass the Batman, but I still don't think it hits eight hundred million. Probably not, especially with Avatar coming out this weekend. Which, by the way, have you heard? Like Avatar got like like crazy tons of good press. Apparently, like it's it's already being like nominated for awards. It's getting Here's, good reviews. Okay. I, it's like, getting nominated. I'm, this is what's hilarious. It got nominated for best picture, and but no acting awards. It got. A, I think mm-hmm. it got a directing nomination. Nothing else. Yeah, I, I, I'm really shocked that it's doing well critically as okay, it is. Here's the thing that I've heard about Avatar from a mm-hmm. someone who saw it as like a pre-screener, right? Yeah. Uh, a critic who saw it and, you know, the movie is unbearably dumb. <laughs> that like yeah. apparent, Apparently there's a, there's a decision at the end that is the most illogical thing ever. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is comical. Yeah, like, I've heard not that. Not supposed to be comical, but comical. So it's like the first Avatar. Yeah, if you're, if you're cribbing from the drinkers thing. A little where... bit, yeah, because that was Chris Gore. Who... Here's the yeah. but here's he the was like, like the, the dialogue is like comically funny. I think what his exact quote was, this movie is dumb and I want to see it again. Something like that. Yeah, um, There was someone else. I forget the name of this other guy who I heard talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's visually stunning which i think we all knew was going yeah. to be considering how much money cameron sank yeah. in developing these filming techniques it better be visually stunning but that it's like every bit of james cameron up to 11 <laughs> so that's the good and the bad mm-hmm. and you know we kind of we kind of dunk on cameron a little bit from time to time for reasons that he brings upon himself the man has given us some of the best movies, like unironically, like genuinely some of the best movies have come from James Cameron. So I imagine there's going to be parts of this that are very good. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it until I actually see it. Well, I look, I anticipate hate. The first, hey, the first just... Avatar movie looked amazing. It was dumb as a rock. <laughs> you know, I mean, let, let's not beat around the bush here. Oh yeah, yeah. The, you know I couldn't. Dance, I can't stand dance. the first movie. I hate it with every what, what fiber of my being. People call it like dances with Smurfs. <laughs> well, you know, it's like Pocahontas on an alien world. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the the first Avatar is dumb as shit. The big attraction was that it was state of the art CGI at the time. It looked gorgeous. And and again, like I, I question. Look, there's a couple of things that are going to help this a lot. Mm-hmm. Lack of competition. It's actually getting a China release. Yes. Which most things this year have not, and the Chinese market might be very, very receptive to this film. Right. So this one, I think, has got a got a good shot of cracking a billion. Where well, that's a lot what of... happens when you make a film, make a movie that doesn't have a uh, gay romance in it. It actually gets released in China. Or a yes, movie... Alexis, that is very true. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> that look, that does it. Um, not discussing the afterlife does it yeah. because. There, there's weird rules about that. All right. Um, let's finish this up. Uh, so Thor 11 under drop to seven. What a game for today. Fantastic Beast 9. Sonic the Hedgehog 10. 
These are the current movies doing better than Morbius. <laughs> it's Morbin time. <laughs> it's Morbin time. Uncharted, Black Adam, Elvis, The Bad Guys, Paul Train, Lightyear, Two Kill to Kill, Smile, Nice View, DC uh, League of Super Pets, The Lost City, One Piece, Red, Nope. And wow. finally, we have Morbius. A couple of movies surpassed. The, like Morbius used to be a little bit higher than a couple of yeah. those, and it fell further. Good for those movies. So I have heard kind of a surprise from various groups in the animation community that the bad guys didn't get a nomination for best uh, animated film for the Golden Globes. Yeah. So I took my son to go see that, and like it was a solid movie. He really enjoyed it. I don't know if it re- rises to the level of needing to be nominated for prizes, though. I think it was like I. If we're was gonna, it, you if think it was better than Turning Red? Yeah, I don't know why Turning Red got nominated. That seems it's, political to me. Yeah, like that—that's we have that. That's, it's a contractual obligation that Pixar gets a nomination every year. Yeah. All right. Um, unless we've got anything else we want to discuss with the money, let's move. Yeah, uh, next, real, this week is Avatar. Way. I don't even need to go into the calendar. It's Avatar and Babylon, and then we're done for the year. We're like literally at the yeah. ass end. I will say this: last week we we kind of fucked around and we talked about our. Um, Top 10. And I felt safe in doing so because, like, I didn't think that Pinocchio or Avatar or Babylon were going to make my top 10. But I'm wondering, does anyone have to revise their list now? I actually was going to say something. If you guys remember, I left two spaces open Mm -hmm. on my list because there was a handful of films that we talked about, including Smile, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, that mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to see yet. And I said I would stand a reason that it, two of those would go on the list. So I purposely left it open. I am giving one of my spaces to Del Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah, I think when I do, when I go on um, movies that suck and some that don't, you know, they always ask for like, honorable mentions. I might leave it there, um, but I, I would not... I would not argue with anyone putting it in their top 10. What about you, Zach? It's your top 10 for the year? Yeah. Yeah? What was your number one? Hmm. I really liked... Let's see. This is going to be kind of weird, but I actually kind of like Sonic 2, to be honest. I think it... I mean, just by like how much fun I had like at the movie. Hey, look, okay. it, made, it made Mark cry, so... <laughs> there is something to be said about that. Sonic 2, I think, is the movie... We gave it a fairly positive review, yeah, and I, mean, I would I think say the that... only the only the only real criticism that we had was the, the side quest with the with the with the bride. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think that is the movie we had the most fun at. That that's mm-hmm. actually kind of depressing though when you realize there haven't been a lot of movies in 2022 where we can equate them to the idea of just going on a roller coaster and having fun. There have been yeah. two, believe it or not. I think Sonic Two and what's the other one, Robert? Uh, I. Not necessarily for me, but going by generally, uh, Maverick. Right. Let's play a game. Okay. Who wants to play a game real quick? I do, okay. I do, I do, I do. Okay. Um, oh, God or Oh, Yay. Okay, you ready? All right. Oh, God or Oh, Yay. Uh, beginning with the 355. Five. Oh. oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Scream 5. In the middle. In the middle. Munich, the Edge of War. Didn't see it. Your ahistorical bullshit can kiss my ass. Alrighty. Uh, Hotel Transylvania 4. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Ice Age, The Adventures of Buck Wild. Someone saw that? Yes, me and my son son did a review of it. It did quite well, as a matter of fact. Because people like your son. 
God, sorry, just the timing on that was perfect. <laughs> Moonfall. Oh God. Yeah, yeah, no. I forgot that came out this year. Big it bug. was a hang on. Moonfall was about sixty percent good bad, and then they got to the superstructure crap. Yeah. Big bug. Didn't see oh. it. No. Whatever. You guys lack culture. Kimmy. No. Uncharted. We that I said no. 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 People will feel differently about Uncharted than I do, but no. Uncharted needed a better director. The Batman. Oh yay. It's a I will pass it because I will give a pass because I accept the will of the majority, but I could do without that movie. I'm just exactly. laughing, Mark, because the way you're sitting like that, it looks like you're since you're wearing a black t-shirt, you essentially have become Zombie <laughs> the floating head. <laughs> No, dude, keep doing. You're good at it. Like, it, <laughs> like, like we can't just do the bit. You gotta like point out the foibles, you know. I um, was Susie Levy. You were a floating head. Sorry. You're a floating head. Turning <laughs> red. Revenge of the Giant floating Yay. head. Really? Middle. Right. I liked it. Bye, Zach. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Where did we go? Oh, that was scary. <laughs> you either agree with us, or we kick you off the show. I'm not just kidding. <laughs> uh, cheaper by the dozen. Rob's favorite movie of the year. I will set you on fire. <laughs> I couldn't even finish that movie. Uh, that deep... movie, I, I told this story, like that movie damaged me in a creative and spiritual <laughs> sense. I watched World War II doc. I, I, I found the War Against Humanity series on YouTube to remind myself of reality after that sacred sanitized product. That was the movie that I called Mark and I was like, please take it off the schedule. I don't want to finish this. Deep Water. <laughs> Deep Water is an uh, is twenty minutes of a movie review and an hour of me defending polyamory to Robert. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. The answer is no. Windfall, big no, big blood. big no. Uh, Morbius, it's Morbin time. Yes, <laughs> to break your son's heart once again. Absolutely <laughs> not. Ambulance, no. Sonic the Hedgehog, yes. yes. My boy. Uh, he gets to play baseball with his friends at the end. Fantastic. It's Idris Elba as an echidna out mugging <laughs> Jim Carrey. Fantastic Beast in the Secrets of Dumbledore. No. <laughs> I hate to do that to a Mads Mickelson feature, but no. And Feel the free movie to do that, it for J.K. Rowling adaptation. And the movie that ended W2M, The Northman. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Northman's great. Northman's, it's it. So it was all in our top tens. Um, all right, so I have to correct the record. Last week, you were asked about, I think, Bubble. You meant the Bubble, not what we were talking about, which is Bubble, the animated movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah no, she was I was talking about that Judd Apatow film. Yeah, no, and, and I realized that after when I listened back to it, like, oh, because I, because after you did that, I went back and I looked at a bunch of lists and I kept seeing the Bubble come up, and I'm like, oh, that's what she was talking about, not the anime. Yeah. So that's, but that's what we reviewed. So, yeah, just so wanted to no, correct no. it there. Yeah. For the record, the bubble, absolutely not. No, yeah. that was a terrible movie. Doctor Strange and the multiverse multiverse of missed opportunities. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a pass. It's a technical it's, pass. It's still technically the best Marvel movie of 2022. Yeah, that's you true. No, it isn't. Firestarter. That it is, Mark, and you know it. Accept it. Firestarter. Crap. Oh. No. Poop. Downton Abbey 2, a new the the next generation. Why was that made? <laughs> Fire Island. 
didn't see it, but you said it was good. I did. Master. <laughs> it's crap. I can't. Uh, there's. I don't remember enough about it to pass judgment at the moment. Master I think that says a lot. Top Gun Maverick. Yay. Yay. My issues, my issues with it aside, it's a yay. Jurassic World Dominion. Oh, God. <laughs> Lightyear. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll give it a medium. Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Positive. Yeah, mostly positive. Uh, the Black Phone. Positive. Positive. Elvis. Positive. Technically positive. Minions: The Rise of Banana. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I I forgot that came out this year. Like again, if we're just talking like what movie did I have the most fun at? It was that yeah. one. How I did that get... one not get nominated? It's I, not. There's nothing to it. It's just Thor, fun. Thor: Love and Thunder. Boo. Middle. Where the crawdad sing? Yay. Eh, Technical. Yay. Yeah. DC Dude, League Owen of Super Pets. Thumbs up. Meh. Middle. Bullet Train. Yay. Yay. Prey. Meh. Yeah. The Gray Man. Boo. Yeah. Didn't see it. Samaritan. Yay. Yeah, it was mostly a yay. Pinocchio. Zachary. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yay. <laughs> Blonde. Blah. Hellraiser. Meh. 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 Again, technical positive. Meh. Halloween ends. Meh. Meh. Black Adam. More Meh. I actually Meh. Have, didn't see it. When Pray it's on HP. When it's on HBO Max, it's where it's probably worth a little bit. Like the ending falls apart pretty hard, but most of the stuff up until then is passable. It came uh, out during my busy season, and I didn't get a chance to see it. And then the reviews <coughs> came, and everyone said it was meh, and I just lost all interest in going to the theater to see. That's it. fair. Pray for the devil. Boo. Boo. Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. That's racist. Um. <laughs> I didn't tell you why I didn't like it. Then you can call me a racist. <laughs> the menu. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Strange world. Zachary. Hey, what? Strange world. <laughs> Strange world. Strange oh, world. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> night. Dude, Strange World has annoyed me the more I've thought about it. <laughs> Like, I, I, I've been yes. doing okay, so I've been doing toy shopping, and it is almost hilarious that the big Disney property they're pushing forward this winter is Encanto. They have all these new Encanto toys. Finally, Violent Night. So the point of this was, as in terms of like roller coaster rides, yeah, like not a whole lot here, not much, not much at all. Okay, last thing before we move on to the critical review. Yes, sir. I have to yell at Disney very briefly. No, Into the foxhole. No, no, no. I'll be very brief. This is not going to get heated. Do you, want, do you want me to do full screen? No. And again, okay. this is going to be brief, and it's not going to be heated. Okay. Dear Disney, you suck. Look that at what you brief. have. Look at what you have done this year. All you have done is release bomb after bomb after bomb. Strange World is a catastrophic failure. Hang I on. I mean that. Hang on, hang on. You, okay. you keep going, but I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. You have again. What are the what are the biggest failures of all time in Strange World? You have Lightyear, which should have been a slam dunk, should have, and you you got nothing. 
You got a movie that's like barely better than Morbius in terms of its total review. Like, I think it might be, even be lower than Morbius. I have to double check again. But All right, are we counting like Disney Plus, like straight to Disney Plus movies? No. Okay, so we had Strange World, which was a bomb, and both critically and bomb and a half. Mm -hmm. If we're not counting Disney Plus, then I mean, like half of this conversation goes out the window because we can't talk about Disenchanted, can't talk about Hocus Pocus, can't talk about Pinocchio. So the only other one is Lightyear. Which Lightyear screwed up its marketing. They kept advertising it as this is the film that 10-year-old Andy saw that made him fall in love with the toy. And we all agreed there is no way a 10-year-old would watch this movie and want a Buzz Lightyear action figure. He wants that. To Robert's point, here is the list of everything that's come out for Disney this year, both on the big screen and on Disney+. Plus. I say The Adventures of Buck Naked. Failure. The Beatles Get Back Rooftop Concert. Doesn't really count. Turning Red. Uh, that struggled. Like that's that might be the best thing they released, and that's a pretty damning indictment. Cheaper by the dozen. Utter failure on every level. Better Nate than never. Don't even know what that is. Uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Yeah, enough of a pass, I suppose. Hollywood Star Girl. Don't even know what that is. Lightyear. Failure. Rise. Just rise. Rise. Yep. yep just rise. Pinocchio. Zachary! <laughs> Hocus Pocus 2. Not heard anything good. It was okay. It's better just to go see the original. Disenchanted. Haven't seen it. Have heard uh, I've heard mixed reviews of it. Like Most of the stuff I've heard about it is like, it's forgettable. Diary Again, of a Wimpy I've heard a lot kid. of people say, it just go see the original. Diary of a Wimpy Kid and then Night at the Museum, Common Raw Rises Again. So a couple of more like straight to Disney Plus. Let's get this off of the books kind yeah, of right. failures. So your point is? My point is you have failed miserably all year. And some of this was predictable by you. Some of this was not predictable by you, by you people because you're stupid. Here's what Pinocchio can be. A movie like this. And you utterly wasted your goodwill with this same IP, basically. You have had a, again, a terrible year. You're having a, you're going to have a bad year next year too, in all probability. Please, please fire the people that need to be fired. And it wasn't Chapek. And try to get yourselves back on track because if Guillermo del Toro with $35 million is doing this and you people are burning piles of money for warmth like it's germany in the 20s and you've got hyperinflation on crap like zemeckis's pinocchio and strange world like your shareholders should be suing you for your fraudulence <laughs> and with that uh, said i would say next year's disney day shareholders meeting is gonna be ugly the only thing acceptable for that event is the i want them to marie antoinette kathleen kennedy i was getting you know damn it you kind of beat me too because i always say the next <laughs> the next shareholders meeting is going to be like a fucking al-qaeda video um, <laughs> Good night, everybody. Back, at least take it back to the French Revolution so there's some <laughs> class associated with it. Come on. And with that said, are you ready?
Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, here we go with the critical review. The critics loved Ooh. it. Damn near perfect. The audience liked it a lot, too, but not as much. Let's, do <coughs> Let's find the green splats, and we'll see people <coughs> who have no soul. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio delivers fully on its title, which is to say it's a visually stunning adaptation that embraces its source material's darkness. I want to give credit where credit's due because we tend to beat up on Rotten Tomatoes a lot. At least what the happened? editor who wrote the byline on that one didn't use puns, and I want to. I really want to congratulate them for um, jumping over the smallest hurdle. I don't know if that's review. Good for them. I don't know if that's done by a person or if it's kind of like AI generated. But either way, I agree with you. Brian Lowry of CNN.com, top critic. He gets paid for this. It's an intriguing but ultimately muddled departure, grounding a story associated with fantasy in grim historical reality. And this is why no one trusts CNN. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Matt Pies of MattPies.com. Give it to me. Give it to you, me. self-employed loser. Oh, I just wet my pants. Cool to look at and miserable to watch. You, you know, this guy gave a glowing review to Strange World just because it's pretty. Yep. Ridiculous. I'm sure. Look, he gave a glowing review to Strange World because it reflects the world we live in today. Um, he supports the message. Hey, it's Kevin Carr. <laughs> Kevin Carr, fat guy at the movies. Look, Merry Christmas, look, Kevin. Hey, again, actually, his he's got a good review there. Well, look, we can't just bully him every week. If he's right, <laughs> we have to give him his flowers. That's true. Artistically brilliant design and relevant messaging make this new take on a classic story fresh and topical. Hey, you don't sound and like a moron yet, there. Very good. Hang on. I was about to say, we're going to give him his flowers, and yet, here he is, deciding to glom on to the message. Not Del Toro's message necessarily, but like his take on the like, uh, you were so close, Kevin Carr. Now you have to get shoved in a locker. <laughs> there's, I, I, I have to admit, I'm glad there's not that many negative reviews. It's like, okay, good. We haven't all gone completely insane. Oh, New- the former newspaper. <laughs> I was going to say New York Times, <laughs> a former newspaper. Manola Dargis, God bless you, uh, top critic. As weird as the story is, it's been made all the stranger by the decision to turn it into a metaphor about fascism, a conceit that is as politically incoherent as it is unfortunately timed. Okay, you're an idiot. Let's start with the following here about your stupid point. This is not a metaphor for fascism. This is a story about grief and loss and overcoming it. And how going out into the the Pinocchio story, I yelled about this with the Zemeckis movie. The Pinocchio story is fundamentally about going out into the world, overcoming adversity, and how the journey changes you. That's what this is. It's about Geppetto overcoming his grief. Fascism is a backdrop. It's not about fascism. It, it doesn't even, look, this doesn't even say fascism is bad in the way that you might expect a political piece to say fascism is bad. It is, by the way. They mostly just used fascism as a replacement for the um, Pleasure Island. Yeah, it's just a backdrop. Yeah, they, instead of turning the boys into donkeys, they were turning them into soldiers for yeah. the access. And it was just equally horrific, but 
like is also again it's not about fascism you idiot <laughs> moreover More- when is it ever a bad time to say fascism stupid it is all right um laura clifford of reeling reviews the filmmakers have also decided to make this a musical which while not a problem in and of itself becomes one when the songs are exceedingly bland as those written by alexandria de plot with lyrics by the screenwriters in robin Cotts. And yet, all the people who actually know about this stuff are nominating those things for awards. I was going to say, the idiot. songs in this movie were great. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that's it. Guy Lodge of Variety, top credit. Uh, you just had to do it, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I <laughs> did. Just had to do I it. I had to. Unfolding over a faint, faintly indulgent but never dull two hours. This is a rare children's entertainment that isn't afraid to perplex kids as much as it enchants them. That's I don't fair. know. I don't I even know. My, I'm not going to lie. I don't think my kids would have gotten through this. Um, this is a advanced PG movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, PG when PG actually means something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to lie. Like when I think about the kinds of, like, I, I, if I think if I had made them sit down and watch it, they would have. But I don't think this, as much as this is children's fair. This is children's fair for adults. I don't know how many kids are going out of their way to watch this. First of all, I've I've talked to a number of different people, and they were like, "What are you doing on your show tonight? What, you, what was the topic?" And I was like, "Polyamory, really? Again? No, just kidding." Um, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> um, I said, "No, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio," and they were like, "If you do, you'll clean it up." And I'm like, "No, Guillermo del Toro's a guy." And this is yet another version of Pinocchio. And they're like, what? Really? Where is this at? Is this in the movies? No, it's on Netflix. And Okay. okay. One of the things for the record about this. Mm -hmm. It has not been very well promoted or advertised. Like, it shows up on the Netflix. We know about it because we study this stuff. But that's my point. Like, the the norms don't know this thing even exists. Or or are not convinced it's it's a good thing to watch. Because again, like we talked about with the Zemeckis movie, like Pinocchio is not exactly a lively brand, you know? And so people are just like, why would I want to watch another version of Pinocchio? This is one of those things where, where I think people might watch it after the fact. Like now that there's like, like us for what we do, there's and a, there's like sufficient buzz out there. People yeah, might get hip to the jive, but going not back the to the kind of movie that's going to like break the bank on opening weekend kind no. of thing, even for streaming, but no, it is going to burn. It's a slow burn, but I think it'll burn well. Um, but again, I, I, this is I one think of those people where... call everyone and say, you need to yeah. see this movie. But again, I don't know how many of that's going to be like the intended audience. I, I think it's honestly, I think it's like for adults who want to watch something for their youthful soul, but don't want to be treated like an idiot. And that's kind of where this movie firmly rests. Like, I would not fair. necessarily think this was appealing to actual children. Well, I mean, to be fair... That's a pretty untapped market. <laughs> True. All right. Um, with that said, that is our review of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Guillermo um, del Toro still has yet to make an, uh, a legitimately bad movie. Tomorrow, uh, Alexis Haina and I guess Jesse are going to be reviewing the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Is that right? Uh, yep. We're bringing back in Zach meat, Campbell bacon. for that as well. <laughs> what was that? Bringing back in Zach Campbell as well. He joined us for uh, our review <laughs> of Andor. All right. No. Uh, I'll yeah, be yeah, Mister. It's like nobody watches Andor. It's like, come on, give plugs to your fellow shows. Hey, if you're if you're on the fence about Andor and you think you might want to watch it, watch our review, then judge for yourself. 
It's I, just I'm not going to by the numbers. Like, I'm not making a judgment call about the quality. Anyway, I'll be at Ginger and POD tomorrow at Janice Landing with my polycule. My polycule, Robert Winfrey. My not polycule. <laughs> not a word. My, poly- okay, my Robert- partner's. Robert, if you're going to keep complaining about this, then we you are challenged to find another term for it, okay? If you did. I think you like beef, polycocknic or something some shit he said earlier. Like, seriously, if your <laughs> biggest beef is just you don't like the phrase, then you have to come up with another phrase that you would accept, okay? That's your challenge by our next review. All right, anyway, oh, I will I've, be... got, I've got phrases that I would accept, but you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, we'll be at Ginger and POD tomorrow with Janet's Landing. So Alexis is taking over the Tuesday spot to do a TV party for the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Which apparently when... is quite lovely. Yes. Oh, it's freaking hilarious. Uh, Wednesday, I've got a double shot for yes. First, because I, Mark Rattledge, only eat fruit from the finest tree. The freshest uh-huh. fruit, mind you. I dine on fine culture. I don't uh-huh. deal in your marvels and your Star Wars. Get to the punchline. I will be watching, we'll be reviewing Adult Fair. Me and my buddy Wags, we are going to be reviewing Dope Sick, the 2021 miniseries about the Oxycontin crisis here in America, because I only deal in intelligent television viewing. Is this why we watched Pam and Tommy and Dahmer and why we're watching Welcome to Chippendales? Yes, that all qualifies. (laughs) If I watch it, it is superior intelligent television. Side note, uh, As she says and- wearing a Family Guy t-shirt. Roadhouse. <laughs> Side note, Pam and Tommy and Dahmer all got Golden Globe nominations for, uh, for the actors. Congrats to them. Uh, and yes, we have done TV party tonight for both those series. Be sure to check them out. So anyway, um, so I'll be doing Dope Sick in the afternoon and then at night because I'm slowly winding through the list of... Uh, things I promised I would do with people before I gave up on podcasting altogether. I promised Jason Teasley months ago we would do the Anaconda series. So we're doing the <laughs> Anacondas. So we're doing the first four Anaconda series. At some long, point... Hey, hey, hey. Anaconda, The Anaconda franchise. Long and strong. <laughs> Anaconda um, don't want so none unless, unless you got, got buns, buns huh? um, <laughs> We are also going to eventually be doing Lake Placid next year. So that way, at some point in the future, future, we can do Lake Placid versus Anaconda, which sounds amazing, by the way. For the record, if you know anything about the actual interaction between those two species, that frequently goes the way of the snake. Moving on. Um, This weekend, I bring up a real life problem in your part of the world about pythons being released into the Everglades and eating crocodiles. Wouldn't that be alligators? Oh, my God. This weekend, we are reiterating our long road to ruin for the diehard movies. Part one is the first three diehards. Part two is the last two diehards. And then we're back on yet another Monday edition of DMU Hollywood. It'll be myself, Robert Winfrey, and David Wright. We will be doing Avatar The Way of the Water. Um, And why? Because I I have a sexy party that I got to go to on Tuesday. So we're going to do it on Monday instead. Sexy party. Woo! Party. So I, you know what? No, I'm not going to say it. Okay, uh, Zach, why don't you uh, show us where you pissed from? Uh, well, <laughs> you you want to buy me dinner first, or that's fine. 
So if you want to be Mark, a classy broad about it, sure. Mark is way too cheap to actually pay for dinner. <laughs> uh, well, this is why I love I guess, you, Zach. Um, well, you could... <laughs> I broke him! Woo! <laughs> That's a new record! <laughs> yeah, really? I, that was quick, man. Um, you can find my books on Amazon. Uh, just type in Zachary Strobel. My this is where Zachary Strobel books uh, make great uh, holiday presents. Um, lots of good good stuff. And uh, yeah, Alexis Hanna, show us where you piss from. You couldn't afford it. <laughs> that was the people he already subs to on OnlyFans. All right, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. Uh, still got time to place orders to be delivered before Christmas. Uh, the cutoff date, since we go through um, USPS, I believe is December 17th, so got about a week left. Uh, remember that we are still doing our charity drive for every order that is placed from either our Etsy or our handmade at Amazon shops. We will donate $5 to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. I haven't checked in a while, but I'm pretty sure we have reached at least over $300 for that donation so far. So this uh, will go on until midnight on Christmas Eve. Robert Winfrey. Oh, sorry, go ahead. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and under duress Twitter. That's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. Now you can interrupt me. Robert Winfrey, show me where you piss from. I would like to announce my candidacy for the upcoming Senate seat here in the state of Utah. I will be running. I will be trying to primary Mitt Romney for the Republican Party. <laughs> And if that doesn't qualify, and if that doesn't qualify as bodily excrement that I can actually do on Twitch, then well, that's as far as you're getting with me. Um, no, my my campaign for public office will have to be postponed at least one more year because this podcast is still way too fresh for opposition research. <laughs> uh, you can find me. Uh, doing a few different things around the internet. Mark mentioned uh, when we have the Avatar The Way of Water review coming up. I will be on for that. I cover MMA and professional wrestling for 411mania.com in the wrestling and MMA zones respect, uh, respectively. So that is AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, which I will be doing after this. Uh, w uh, MLW stuff on Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday and UFC events on Saturdays. We are about to have the last UFC event of 2022 this Saturday. Oh, this last Saturday was UFC 282, and what a clown fiesta that was. <laughs> Ten straight finishes, followed by two of the worst decisions you will see all year. It was, it was bad. If you want the details, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, where I yell about the state of the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. So this last week was, again, a review of UFC 282, a preview of the last episode, the last uh, UFC event of the year, and some news of the week. So if you're interested in that, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can look for 411 Ground and Pound, and you will be able to find me. I've got a uh, yeah, pretty good episode this last week. It's me talking to myself these days, but, you know, it was fun. And this coming weekend, the UFC event, so that would be Saturday, 
And this coming Sunday, I'll review it. And that will probably be the last podcast I do for the episode, uh, for the year, rather. I think that's the last MMA podcast all year. And then I will do one the second week in January, I think, because I got stuff. I'm probably not going to be available to podcast on January 1st. So such is life. We'll have to see how that goes in particular with some stuff that's in the air. But that's where we are. The air is winding down, people, and we here at the Rydleton Broadcasting Network wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. Please don't do anything stupid. There's way too many stupid people out there. Just don't do anything stupid. Your life will be so much easier. For Zachary! And for for Alexis Haina, and for Robert Winfrey, who wants to show you where he pisses from, this is Mark Rattledge and damn you, Hollywood, saying, be well, be safe, and be well, be safe, and behave. (laughs) 